Welcome back, pod people, to another episode of Cinema Demore. I am your hostess, Lexi. With me today, as always, Justin. Hi. Chuck. Yeah. How are we doing today? I'm doing well. It's all right. Good. Are we excited to start a new month and a new director? Oh, yeah. It's always exciting to change things up. This was Justin's pick. Am I correct in that? You are 100% correct. And who did you pick? Catherine Bigelow. I really wanted to talk about The Hurt Locker. That's fair. That's usually what it comes down to. The movie that I pick in my own theme, I've just really wanted to talk about. Yeah. It's been a while since I revisited it, and I picked up a 4K version of it maybe two months ago. So I was like, I need to revisit this movie soon. I was thinking about picking her when I picked Spike Lee instead. And this is a problem, I guess, with the film industry in general. There's not a ton of female directors with a lot of films to talk about because they just don't get the opportunities. She's probably the most known female director. Sophie Coppola. That has a huge... Yeah, she was. she's another one that's close up there. She's definitely the most successful. Yeah, I was about to say, I mean, she's, she's one of the few that's actually been nominated for an Academy Award. That's changing more recently. We finally had more females getting, getting nominated and getting film directing opportunities. So I think it's finally changing. Not a lot of them have just the length of career that she's had. She was very much an anomaly for her time that to be making films in the 80s and 90s and a lot of action films films when females were not typically labeled as action directors. Yeah, I would say action's her primary genre too. It's the one thing that's the most consistent in all of her movies. Yeah. But she's the first woman to win an Academy Award for Best Director, and she won Best Picture too for The Hurt Locker. Just recently, we had our second woman director, Jane Champion, who did Year of the Dog, She's been nominated before, too. She was nominated for The Piano. They get nominations, but it's only, like you said more recently, that female directors are like almost getting in the top five directing spots for Best Director every year at the Academy Awards. Yeah. I felt embarrassed because I didn't know this director, but I've been watching her movies for years. She's made a lot of personal favorite films, like films like we talked about Strange Days. I recommend that movie to people all the time. I had no idea who directed it. Sometimes I don't always pay attention to directors. Like if the director's name comes up and I go, oh, I'm familiar with this director. I don't always necessarily seek out a director, but I feel embarrassed not knowing her because the first time I really heard her name mentioned was, as you said, Hurt Locker. That was the first time I ever heard mention of her. And then I saw that she started doing like a lot of those kind of war type movies, like based on like the more modern war stuff in the last couple years and i was like i thought that's what she did kind of thing so when you were like all right go pick a movie from this director and i was like oh god like i thought it was gonna be boring war movies and stuff oh shit this is like a director who's been around for like years and i've been watching her work for years and she's not bound to any genre at all and that's what i think is really interesting once you presented her like she made the film we're covering today near dark which is a horror movie and then she did Point Break, which is like one of the best action movies ever made. She did Stranger Days, which is like one of the most prolific cyberpunk films made of the 90s. Because like it was a really shallow genre at that time. It was hard to find really good content. And it didn't do well in theaters. But like within the community, you know, it was like a big hit because it's a really solid film. And, and so, and that's written by James Cameron, too. Yeah. They and were I, married. I, 
the movie we're covering today, she co-wrote and directed. This is her first movie that she directed by herself. Okay. I watched the movie before that that she co-directed with Monty Montgomery, The Loveless, which honestly, it wasn't great, but where it was over the top made it enjoyable. It's Willem Dafoe, and he is the wild one, essentially. It's the <laughs> same kind of story. They're, like, broken down. They have to get their bike fixed, and they're in this small town, and they're just, like, an over-the-top motorcycle gang. I saw, like, I saw the poster for that movie, <laughs> really and it was... Uh... It looked like, I think that they probably would have been made around the same time, too. He looked like his character from, have you ever seen Streets of Fire? No. That's a weird movie, too, where he's also, he looks like the exact same character. He's a biker. That is also like a neo-Western, except it takes place in like an apocalyptic Detroit. It's a Walter Hill movie. It's a weird, it's a weird film. I want to see this. You should watch it. It's very entertaining. It's got, I can't think of who else is in it, but he's the villain. Willem Dafoe's the villain. And he looked exactly the same on the poster. So I'm like, was he just making like both of these movies back to back where he's a weird biker guy in like some weird sci-fi world? There's a really good shot too early in the movie where he can't start his bike. He takes like a couple tries. And I was watching a thing where they were talking about it. It's this shot of him struggling to start his bike. (laughs) And they just kept it in the movie. Which it makes sense because his bike is the one that needs worked on. I think that it's released by Arrow. I think it's still easily obtainable. I did like it. I've worked my way all the way up to Cyberpunk 1, Strange Strange Days. Strange Days. I mean, between that, even just coming off a point break... Some of the cinematography, there's a lot of single shots. I'm really impressed with the opening shot where it's this robbery from a first-person perspective. They weren't using GoPros and stuff back then. It looks wonderful. It looks great. Point Break is a great movie. Really well done. For that genre, Like probably one of the best action films ever made. The first couple movies that she's done, obviously Near Dark included, she kind of just goes with what these actors are doing, and you get a lot of over-the-top actors. Yeah. And I think it works in her favor with the Point Break story to have everybody so ridiculous and maybe the most ridiculous plot of all time. You get this. You get Near Dark, which is essentially this vampire western. And can it get more ridiculous than this? Yes, it can. And that movie is Point Break. (laughs) That's so funny. Near Dark is a movie that I picked. It is a movie. It is. It's a film. It was made with film at a time when film was film. No, this is a movie that my mom was a huge fan of. My mom's a fan of that 80s vampire shit that came out like Lost Boys and this and that kind of stuff. There was kind of a lot of this kind of taking vampire stuff and making it a bit more raunchy in the 80s doing it like dirty punk style and making it less gothic romantic in that kind of way but you know like american western but i guess like it's still hot i don't know hot like sexy or hot like they're in the desert both both (laughs) okay for sure (laughs) um hot like everyone's on fire this entire film a lot of like numerous times (laughs) leather jackets and like that kind of shit (laughs) a lot of chases where people are just smoking yeah God, there was a lot of smoking bodies in this movie. Um, It was one of those movies that I kind of ignored for years. And then I just was like, all right, I'll watch it. And the first time I saw it, I was like, ah, this is fucking amazing. I've never like seen a vampire film like this because I don't like the vampire genre. There is exactly what we were just said, like the the gothic romantic or like, I don't know. It's just not really my kind of thing. What do you like? I like zombies a lot that's like my favorite genre hands down and i kind of like ghost stuff ghost stuff's pretty good 
I don't I don't really like slashers. I'm not like a huge slasher person. The vampire thing is sort of like seemingly, at least in modern times, the most tied into romance. Yes. So we get a romance movie and it's a vampire movie. Yeah. And the Western aspect of it is that, that neo Western this actor too, this Adrian Pestar, if I'm saying his name correctly, I assume I am not. The only other thing that I know him from is Heroes. If you watch the TV show Heroes. Yeah. He was the brother of the main character, and his power was he could fly. And that was that's oh, all I remember. Okay, yeah, I know exactly who you're talking about. I was like really excited to see Lance Hendrickson and Bill Paxton. Bill, Bill Paxton, because yeah, like, they got, got the cast of like aliens. aliens. Yeah, yeah. And, I, <laughs> and I was they're so good together. I think Cameron said take all these actors like a group package for your movie and the only one that wouldn't do it is michael bean which i think maybe he was supposed to be the protect i don't know who he would have been i hope he would have been the child because that kid was funny <laughs> the kid is an old man maybe he's the dad i don't know who he's gonna be loy yeah. was his name loy yeah. murray wasn't it no uh homer it was homer no homer's the boy homer's but the his kid. dad is loy and I, oh, I don't think oh, i've heard the name okay. loy Ever. Ever. No. I thought we were talking about the kid. I'm sorry. We, we were. We're just that, moving fast. I'm that sorry. That I think's the like I feel like that is probably the part that I still love the best about this movie is the cast of vampires. The three of them from Aliens with Bill Paxton and Lance Hendrickson are great character actors. Right. And it's nice when they get like big roles that they're kind of more of the main characters, even though it's supposed to be the romance between May and Caleb. That's the part I like the least is Right. The two characters that are supposed to be the romance have zero chemistry. They're wicked stale, too. Like, their acting is stilted. Like, they're, they're just they're the least interesting. <laughs> they're bad. Caleb's a little, uh, a, a little rapey at the beginning. Like, the two characters from Aliens, the woman and Lance Hedrick, their relationship I'm more interested in. Yeah. Right. I have no idea what's going on with them. Is the woman the one that plays Vasquez in Aliens? Yeah. Yes. Oh, fantastic. And she's also the mother in uh, T2. Yes, that's amazing. She went on. She kept working with Cameron the one again. That is the the T one thousand and yeah, yeah, stabs the stabs says, the husband. Uh, what's the dog's name? Yeah, Lucky or whatever he says. He's fine. Your parents yeah. are dead. Yeah, your parents are dead. <laughs> <laughs> your step parents are dead. Vasquez is the best female badass ever. Like she's such a great character. I almost want a near dark prequel that's just focusing on those characters. Right. Because we get the line where the, the only real backstory we ever get on any of them is when Caleb asks, you know, how old Jesse is, and he says like, "Oh, I fought for the South." And the guy's like, "The South," and he's like, "We lost." And that's like the only that's like the only background you get is that he's 400 years old that he was around Basically, during the Civil it's true War. Blood because Bill from True Blood was the same way. He was yeah. like alive in the Civil War, and that's also the backstory of one of the vampires in Twilight. I don't know why the Civil War is like it's like what's a really old yeah what's it's what's old, like an old enough old. thing and like and they're always they're almost always Confederate soldiers. They're never they're they're never Union soldiers. It's always I don't know if it's like it's supposed to add to the tragedy of like they lost and it's like well yeah I'm glad they lost like stop make stop trying to make that seem like that was a noble cause that they died for to become vampires. And what was that joke too where they're always talking about vampires? You never see poor vampires because if they were poor and they couldn't stand life they would just walk out into the sun. Yeah. Although these are kind of poor vampires. Yeah, they're, they're definitely kind of hobos. Poor. 
I think they're like they're like gutter punk vampires to be like they're just like really gross and trashy and they act like gutter punks and they they could be wealthy too but they steal cars constantly and yeah, I think they just, just like nomads. doing it too like I think they have fun living the way they do I wasn't left with the impression that like they're unhappy in their state like they seem to enjoy doing what it's they not did. even just they had fun. a system they, they like the risk they yeah they take a lot of risks and they enjoy it. Bill Paxton might be like the worst, but they don't reel yeah. him back in. They kind of no, they encourage him it. it. Yeah, I love Bill Paxton in this movie. Like this is one of Bill Paxton's best roles. He really like steals the show in so many of the scenes. Like the thing is, is like when you were saying like when the focus is just the 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 protagonist and the girl, it's like it's not very interesting. And they're not very interesting. And it has this it has this quality about it, like almost like a made for TV movie from the 90s or like it, it, the very beginning before we got to the real vampire stuff, when it was just showing the like when Caleb's walking across the field back home, it made me think of a uh, Showtime. Um, presents. It, no, it made me think of an unsolved mysteries reenactment, like <laughs> yeah. that level of that level of quality of just like I was just like I could just hear Robert Sack's voice. Caleb stumbled back across the desert <laughs> to his home, uh, his family came, looking on. When he came stumbling back, it was really funny because I forgot that was his family. When his sister's like, she, he doesn't look like he's doing to, too well. I thought it was going to be a, like a random farm that he came like came so, upon. So the dad in this is Tim Thomerson. Are you guys familiar with Tim Thomerson? If you watch full moon movies, you know exactly who Tim Thomerson is. And it was really weird to see him in like a movie directed by like a well-directed good director <laughs> and like not playing like some extreme because he's doll man. And he's also like all the transfers movies and all that shit. Like he's great. He's one of my favorite actors, but I've never seen him like outside of full moon. And I always wondered like, why Tim Thomerson doesn't have more of a career because he's a really good actor, but like, he I even think so... the like the bad act, like the 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 lack of chemistry, gets hidden in the movie somewhat, but it is a little real apparent when it's extreme close ups of these people that have this super, very superficial relationship to kind of kind of go as extreme as they go on it. I but there are parts of the story that I would love to see when the girl takes off as sun's coming up. Where does she go? Like they find her in yeah. the Winnebago, but like, and how are they driving the Winnebago if they can't see through the, the window, you know, they, yeah, have they, they leave up. just they have enough. Slit, yeah. Which never made any sense to me either. Cause they're, I feel they're like just smoking. driving is burning. Yeah. yeah it reminds me a little bit smoking. too of a John Carpenter's vampires where they like hunt them during the daytime and, yeah. would like rip them out into the sunlight. That's a movie that had so much potential and just drops the ball like 15 minutes into the movie. Yeah, I, I love even this. There was a, that really cool moment too where there's a shootout and the shootout just like adds like an extra element of something dangerous to the vampires when they're in that room, like of all the beams right. of light. All, and there are so many holes in the there's more holes in the wall than that could possibly be from them shooting so this time watching it i did not like it as a film i was like i really 
liked this movie and I used to tell people oh, this is a really good movie kind of thing. And this time around it was like it has a feeling like a made for TV movie, but it has like some really excellent scenes like you just said, like the hotel room scenes really good. The the bar scene when Bill Paxton is in the bar and he's like killing people and like going off and what have you that scene is like the best scene in the whole movie like the bar scene is great especially when it leads up to the end where they're like caleb here's your meal and it's so beautifully <laughs> that one shot. guy that's by himself and there's like nobody alive except for the vampires and there's guys just like basically pissing himself like oh you know how like movies there are some movies out there that like there's just like everything comes together and just creates that one iconic scene that like one moment in the film or what have you that like is forever encapsulates like all, all other film and stuff like that kind of thing. That's like that scene of Paxton at the bar covered in blood with the sunglasses on leaning against the bar with the leather jacket. I'm like, dude, they fucking that vampire is every vampire from like, the 90s on like that is like one of the most iconic scenes like ever in film like that that whole shot of him like at the bar and all that it's just an interesting like film to see because you watch it now and a lot of it feels very tropey but it's like the tropes didn't exist before the film the film not necessarily I mean, he's so that... much fun even when they're trying to run him over and he's right hanging on the hood of the truck and he's I'm guessing because he's a vampire, he's able to rip through the the hood of the truck and yeah. start ripping the engine apart. Yeah, it's I, I on I the first time that I watched the movie, I wasn't really into it, and I found myself enjoying it more this time around than I have any other time before. But I do get the criticism of, is it that you're a newer director, or I mean, obviously this is her first thing that she's directing completely by herself. I think she does a pretty good job for her first movie, you know. I uh, do see, though, that where, like, some of the shots, like, maybe are a little subpar. I think the ending is terrible. Like, the whole transfusion. like The transfusion just, doesn't make a lot of sense. It makes no lot, sense. It's a lot different than most vampire movies where I feel like they just end up dying. Right. I feel like a mo- I feel like the modern version of Near Dark, if there is one already, maybe I don't know, would literally be them dying together. Like that'd be the vampire romance. What if they both burned in the sun together? Yeah. Right. I mean, that's been done plenty of it'll times. It'll be done again. Yeah. Uh, there's. It's been done. Like you said, it's been done. But what hasn't been done? The blood transfusion to make them back into people. <laughs> that I've the dad it. knows how to do because he's got some farming equipment. And he can figure right. that shit yeah. out. It's like, damn, Tim Thomerson, you got some skills. He does those cow blood transfusions all the time. It, it makes me think of like the Evil Dead, where they just slap something together and do a blood transfusion. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, I got some fucking hoses and shit. Yeah, I can do this. Well, and it, I, I kind of almost feel like it might be more fitting if he just gets the transfusion and then like they just fuck off and leave him alone and that's it. But like, then he's got to go hunt them and like. That would be a terrible movie cliche. if they're just gone after he has his transfusion. I don't know, man. I didn't really see a point in him hunting them down. I mean, they're still good vampire movies. Like, I really do like let the right one in. I love that. I love that scene where the bot guy becomes a vampire and he's in the hospital 
which it's funny they bring it up in this movie like don't take me to the hospital they'll kill me i'll die in a hospital and that's literally a scene in let the right one in where they're in the hospital and they're like open the blinds and they just like burst in the flames yeah that's that's i i feel like i've heard uh i think it was john landis i guess like i don't know this was in some video a long time ago like he's he's like said things like like you know if you ask people like so what what kills a vampire and like people start like listing off like like oh a steak sunlight and it's like no it can be whatever you want like it's a it's a fucking made up creature like do whatever you want and like so it's like <laughs> yeah answer john landis so it's like i i do get more interested in films that do something different with a character where you're not trying to just do that like i don't know maybe there's like a baseline of rules for how a how Let's a vampire supposed to be but yeah yeah Maybe don't go too far into into one direction or another with like certain things like that. Like, don't get too stupid with it. But uh, some like I I think the the movie that I like that uh, kind of does like a, a play on the on vampires that's different. Something like uh, Doctor Sleep, where like make them like more like psychic vampires. Like they don't they don't feed on blood. They feed on you know telekinetic power instead but it's still still or essentially they're supposed Luke to be did thirst did you see yeah thirst, thirst is a great one like that's that's a great vampire story that you know changes what? those uh changes those ideas what's that weird vampire movie where they live in like some kind of like city and they it's like daybreak yeah that one e- every movie that you yeah. bring up is an ethan, ethan hawk <laughs> ethan hawk is in everything did you see that great ethan hawk movie where he's a drone pilot it's yeah. always ethan hawk He's just so I can't forgettable. Think of the actor. You still got to see um, Predestination. Did you see that? That's the same no. directors as Daybreak. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Please yes. do. Pre- Predestination. Honestly, is amazing. Don't look up anything about it if you didn't see it. Chuck recommended it. I guarantee you. We did an episode on it a couple <laughs> years ago. This movie's insane in in a good way. I would yeah. say that it's insane in a good way. Lexi, I think you will actually like this movie a lot. Yeah, it's nuts. I, I might have seen it. It sounds familiar when you say the name. But yeah, I'm not I'm not big on the vampire genre and when you do a creative shit like that, I'm more interested in watching it. But I don't like when you veer too far. Like I'm the other way. Like I like you to be creative, but I still like you to stay within the confines of What like, did you like lore. about this movie? Because let's say you don't like the genre and you had this is Catherine Bigelow's only vampire movie and you picked it. So what kind of drew you into this movie? I guess even if you don't feel the same way as you originally did. The the best vampire movie to me is Dust Till Dawn. Like hands down the greatest vampire movie. But what uh, what what about this movie stands out to you? I I like the visuals. I think it's visually really like I like how it's really dark and when the sun's out everything's got like a good like uh, the wick that everything's smoking all the time like i like that it feels like they definitely are traditional vampires but they just kind of don't behave like traditional vampires i like the raw 80s punk aesthetic that they have going there's a lot of like proper punk aesthetic combined with like uh like the british sort of mod punk culture like it's really well done the costumes are excellent so i'm just drawn to that i think the weakest parts once again are the the guy and the girl but i thought they were the weakest parts the first time i saw it around 
I love Bill Paxton. I love Lance Hendrickson. I think, as you said, a film going back and exploring them as characters could probably be really interesting. So, like, I like the middle of the movie, but I hate the beginning and I hate the end. And, like, I hate the blood transfusion thing and that kind of stuff because that's where it got goofy. And even when I was a fan of this movie, I thought the blood transfusion was goofy. Like, I was like, that... It's the one part of the movie that I was just sat wrong with. I'm me. all for it. I think that this time around, I didn't remember it being kind of the way that I did. And I thought that the kid engaged in more and kind of fell in with them and just kind of became part of this like group. And then Homer, when he saw an opportunity, don't fuck <laughs> it up. He was a good character. I mean, there was a lot of things in this that I just thought stood out really well. And I like think that, that child the, smoking cigarettes, but it's okay because he's actually an old ass vampire. Right. I think, well, I, I like that character. I think Homer is a good character. I like the way he was executed. I think he ended up being. You like really the way creepy. he died? Yeah, his death is great. <laughs> I like how, I like, like, the way he was executed. That's what you literally mean when they're dead. Yeah. I love when that character was executed. Yeah. I feel like that, that weird scene of, like, the there's there's two hotel scenes we have the one where they're like in the shack that gets blown up and then there's the there's the other one later where caleb runs into his family and that whole scene's just so weird the way they set it up with like him and may leave and then homer goes outside to smoke and he sees his sister and he's like what are you doing little girl and she's like i do whatever i want and he's like i'm like whoa that's that's a lot of attitude from a little girl at five o'clock in the morning getting a soda out of the vending machine i do think that the kids reactions like the main character uh i like i think his reactions are very authentic to what's being presented to him like it's hard to accept things like i think a really great scene with him is that scene when they're first together in the rv and the vampire girl's like in bed with him cuddling up to him and he's just like staring forward like what the fuck is like going (laughs) on and it's just like this girl's just treating it like it's normal and I was like, oh, yeah, shit's about to go down. You're about to get into some hills have highs kind of shit. Like, it's going to get You also really got to appreciate the, the time and how there's no cell phones yet, obviously. So when his dad shows up and he's like, I tried calling you, but you weren't home. Been calling the like, home I'm phone. So, I'm sorry. I was out looking for my missing son. <laughs> Whatever the hell yeah. I, I don't know. I think like there's a lot of good in this movie. I just think that this time around and having more of an understanding. It kind of is. Uh, it's kind of like twilight was brought up and it kind of has that, like we don't really care how violent things get aesthetic of the eighties. We don't, it, it doesn't bother us. It, right. So it's not the watered down version of twilight, but you know, if they made twilight, in 1989 or or what or 1987 it would probably be more similar to this it probably wouldn't for be, sure absolutely you know probably well, wouldn't well, twilight's the reason we didn't uh they were supposed to remake this film but then they, that was apparently the statement of well twilight's too similar to it so we're just not even gonna bother and that's really i feel like funny. this is a, i feel like this is a movie that i wouldn't i wouldn't necessarily mind seeing a remake of like i don't know whether it'd be good or not it would depend on who they who directs it and who's cast in it, but it, it's a film. Yeah. She, if she remakes it, it, you know, I think she, I think she could redo it with maybe some better actors. Cause 
like I said, I feel like that's the biggest like letdown is the characters that are supposed to be like your, you know, kind of your undead Romeo and Juliet are the two. Yeah. As we've said multiple times, least interesting, no chemistry, like not interesting to watch characters also, on the Caleb's screen. Also, Caleb's kind of a creep. Like, that's what I said asshole. at the beginning. Like, takes like, her out to his spot, but then he won't take her home. I feel like that's him. like that's like very much let... an an He's 80s so thing. Handsy. of like, It's supposed to be like it's supposed to be like like oh that's just boys being boys. And he's like, I guess I'll drive you home yeah. when you give me a kiss. Yeah, he's being so gross. I was like, you deserve whatever happens to you. Yeah, you just pissed me off this entire time. And his interactions with his friends were really not very. I don't even good. know if they were his friends. I felt like the way that he dressed and acted, they were just people at the bar. Yeah, I, I felt like they were about... his. I felt like they were his friends, but he's like he one hundred percent felt like felt like he's like a, a fake cowboy. Like he gets out and he like puts the hat on, and the other guy like like goes up and he's like, "Get that stupid hat off! You look like an idiot or something like or that." He's, he's like, like it's just a townie. Yeah, he's like he's like, he's like quit touching my hat, man. That, uh, that's that's my hat. I'm I'm a cool guy. Like. <laughs> cool guy i feel like i feel like he's like real fake and like and then uh yeah then he sees the girl and they're like i'm gonna go talk to that girl and he's like yeah right i saw her first and like runs over to her he did run so it's he, like yeah I, I, i'd be interested to, this is this is one of those films like I, I think we've said that before of if you're gonna remake a movie remake a movie that maybe uh, maybe didn't age perfectly or something like that and i feel like it's, it's definitely like a cult classic film but I think For they sure. could remake it, and again, like if they had a better cast, got some, got some different Jordan actors Peele. in. Give it to Jordan Peele. As the, he doesn't do remakes, he's all original ideas. That's why he did Candyman. He didn't do Candyman. He produced it. He didn't yeah. direct it. He wrote it. He didn't direct it though. That's fine. <laughs> he was too involved. We'll give it to him. Well, Candyman was still good, so there. It was really good. But I don't know excellent. what you're trying to prove. I don't. It was a good movie. I don't know. <laughs> like, yeah, I think uh, I'd be more most interested in in having Catherine Bigelow back as a director if they are were going to remake it. I don't know if she'd want to revisit it, but I think she's definitely picked up a lot more skills as a director, and I think she would be better with virtually any cast that she wanted. It'd be kind of cool if she could bring some of them back too. It's a really easy film. Not Bill Paxton, but it's very simple. Like, I mean, conceptually, it's just boy meets girl, girl bites boy, goes on some crazy. But like how you said, too, you're having a more interesting setting. And a lot of the shots are pretty cool. They have that. The like, shots are excellent. The cinematography is great. Smoky alleyway type things going on. It's yeah, such that, a yeah, dirty final. Film. The final with the truck, like driving down, like that whole scene looks great. Like the uh, the way they light that, and it has like has like a lot of really good silhouettes of him, you know, riding in on the horse. Like yeah, that that whole final final scene in the town looks great. I love that. The that shot of Lance Hendrickson when he's in the van, just like gunning it, and he's like burning the whole time, and then he just blows up. That shit's so good. Like, I did love how, like, the very first explosion you see, I can't remember who it was, if it was Homer or whatever. It was Homer. But yeah. they don't just burst into flames. They are they're they might as well be, like, C4 going off. Yeah. They, it's yeah. like scanners, like... <laughs> they explode. Well, that, that's why when they blow up in the car, like, the yeah. whole car blows up, too, and then it it's just, It's a like, great special effects shot, yeah. too, of that car exploding with them in it. They could have... It would have been kind of cool, too, to have... Uh, a kill where like the vampire held on to somebody during 
you know, while they were burning, and they took the person out with their explosion. Right. So they were like the, suicide bomber vampires or something like that. The best and most interesting thing about this film are the vampires. That's about it. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Well, think about it. The people, the the best actor of the people is probably the little girl. Yeah, she was excellent. She's she the most really like good. believable one as a character. I mean, even Tim Thomerson, as much as I love him, he was like a soap opera actor. Like, he yeah, was when really... he showed up in the in the hotel room, him and the interaction with Caleb just did not feel normal. Not it, at like, all. It didn't feel like like they didn't, didn't feel like they're family in the slightest. It didn't feel like they were having a real conversation. Like it feels like I've, I've just met this man for the first time in my life. It was really funny. I enjoyed everything with like, I think some of my favorite parts too are every time somebody tries to kill Lance Henriksen, like he shoots him and he spits the bullet out, which is such a great mm-hmm. moment. Then when uh, she throws the knife at him later and it, and, uh, it goes like into his throat and then he like just yanks it out and spits out the blood. Like he has, he has such great moments just from him not even doing anything, just, just being there and being Lance Henriksen. He's just, he's, so he's just great on his movie. own. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, even though the focal character, that's just that the focal characters are all these like, who the fucks? And then like the vampires and secondary characters are all people who later on go on to have huge careers and like are like in like tons and tons and tons of like, you know, like cult classic and like true classic films and all this kind of stuff. So their, their performances are like top tier. So the best actors in the movie are not given as much screen time as they deserve, but when they're on screen, they own the show. So like the whole movie, basically you're waiting for those moments when you get them because they're the only ones that have any like range and ability. Also the decision to not follow the leads at all, you know, the throughout the entire film kind of took away from the fact that maybe that story wasn't as sharp. I, I mean, even if the actors, the act, I would, I'd agree with what Chuck said, where the chemistry was a little bit off. Like the lead female character, she wasn't terrible, but she didn't really seem to add much, you know, to be the person that's supposed to kind of like attract this guy and pull him into this world. She is also kind of weird how he, like how we were talking about earlier, how he approached her. And how he cornered her. In today's world, I would want to see him pay for that. Right. But it wasn't like the typical, like, she was bait luring him into. Yeah. I mean, she might have been, but it did not come off that way. That's what I feel like. No, it really the, didn't. I feel like in, yeah, like in a modern, in a more modern remake, that is how it would be like. Like, that would be like his punishment. Like, she bites him and turns him. And then even when he meets up with her, like, she's not. She doesn't want to be his girlfriend or anything. It's just like, well, what did you expect? Yeah, I bit you because you were being like a creep. Like, <laughs> like it would not. It still like shouldn't turn into a love story somehow. You know what I would do? Just because we're top talking hypotheticals and fantasizing about this remake that doesn't exist, I'd get a big actor to play Caleb. But this Caleb would start pretty much the same as in this movie, but he would be dead within the first ten minutes. Like because he was an asshole, he literally got killed. And uh, he, there's no Caleb in the remake at all. There's it just starts following the vampires without him. It'd be a more interesting film. Yeah. It's it's the other thing I was like thinking too was 
like I don't I don't know how it went on set if it was just it feels like maybe maybe not that these two uh the two main actors are necessarily bad but just like their their personalities just they can't compete with those other guys that are character actors and no kind of like I mean almost as sometimes like a character actor you have to make as much of your screen time as you can like you want to be super memorable even though you're only there for like 10 minutes so I it's mean, like they Bill, they bake that into their personality of Bill Paxton's in Terminator for like 2 minutes and he's and one you of remember the most memorable yeah, you, scenes you, you like, always remember that Bill Paxton's at the beginning there so it's that's like That's whose jacket he stole. He's the same character. Yeah. Yeah, so it's like yeah. Yeah. So it's it's like that's that's where I wondered like just were they like not they were like trying to play it like anything else that they've been cast to act in and just weren't prepared for like how how wild like Bill Paxton and them were going to want to play it. I but then it's like less. even the kid plays like he plays He's well at being, like, at being like over the top like you know like a weird character like, like i feel like he matches their he's the, hanging the out other with energy all day yeah it's like i don't know if they rubbed off on him more and like the other two caleb and may like film scenes separately so they didn't always have to act with them so they like weren't trying to match their energy or something like that i mean i also think when you get this package deal of all these actors that are way bigger than you you probably are hoping you're not going to say no to them i'm assuming and you're just gonna let it ride, and that's part of the yeah. gamble <laughs> when you hire them. Um, Bill Paxton is like just James Cameron's friend who went to art college, and like he was like, "Hey, you want to be in my movie?" And he's like, "All right." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's wild. And from watching these first couple movies too, because we're we're our next movie, we're gonna be jumping. We'll be basically skipping over most of her filmography, which right now there's only 10 features. And she'd actually, she's done a couple shorts and a couple of music videos too. But I watched Perfect, sorry, uh, Blue Steel. <laughs> uh, definitely where they took the name and put it in Zoolander. <laughs> and Jamie Lee, that's another movie I recommend because it's probably the worst one, but it's also the most ridiculous movie I've seen where it's another technology thing that there's no cameras and stuff, but Jamie Lee Curtis is a cop and she ends up disarming this guy at a grocery store. She unloads into him and, but they lose the gun. They have no witnesses that there ever was a gun. And this guy gets the guns, becomes a psychopath and he's just killing people on the streets with his gun. He's like, he went insane when he, when he picked up this, this uh, revolver and that's the whole plot like <laughs> it doesn't it's just fucking weird he's obsessed with her and everything I, and it, yeah that. it does it ends in a huge shootout hmm. also gotta love it because jamie lee curtis character says that she's she chose to be a cop because she wants to shoot people and bust heads up against the walls and i was like wow that's another thing that in today's <laughs> age would, would be kind of like what that'd be more like a training day than uh yeah than like this is the nice protagonist that you want to follow but the the core that i've noticed out of all the movies i've watched is she loves to stage a good shootout she loves she loves to end things in in gunfire she likes scenes of sad men walking towards the camera or pacing around an empty room 
Sometimes. I mean, I also think it's interesting, too, because she's directing. This is the female gaze by default. But there's nothing to me that feels, I don't know. There's nothing to me that like I can't relate to from watching Near Dark because I'm a guy. These are very broy films. Is she like, bro? Bra? I don't know, but like I mean, Point Break <laughs> is bro as hell. Like, I think she seems to understand and capture male culture pretty well. I mean, some of the films she has are pretty beloved by male culture, especially the bro cultures. Her locker was loved by like, you know, war people and stuff like that. Like that's a that's a big film that had a lot of impact socially on men who were in the service at the time because they felt a lot of the same feelings that, you know, Jeremy Renner's character feels. Yeah. I mean that's our next movie, so we'll go more into depth with that when we when we get there. It's a much different movie. We yeah. basically do her first movie and then skip to her last couple movies. I didn't even know this was her first film. I'm just like, all right, Te- let's do it's this. It's like one. Loveless technically, but this is the first one by herself. So however you want to take that listeners. I I mean like you said like I will almost pick Stranger Days, but I thought that Stranger Days has a slower pacing. It's a and, longer movie too. And it's I, a long film. Yeah. It's and, a two and a half hour movie. So it's not something like as much as I loved it, I thought about what you guys picked and I just was like, this will be more fun. Like I wanted something a little bit more fun to go over. I guess I could have picked Point Break, but like I just I don't know. I had better memories of this than going into it this time around for sure. Yeah, there's no skydiving without a backpack. Yeah, I mean, and and, uh, Keanu Reeves is so fucking good in that movie. Like, so good. I mean, that's a, honestly, if it wasn't for that movie, he probably wouldn't be doing Speed and The Matrix. Like, he probably wouldn't have picked up the way that he Speed has. Speed is so good. I fucking love that movie. It's, like, not good, but it's really good. <laughs> yeah, my favorite part is when that bus makes that jump that it, it could not possibly have made. <laughs> What, you don't like the part when he gets on that panel? The panel's cool. It's just like it drops out the bottom of the bus and slides across the ground. They had it ready to go like it yeah. was an invention that already existed for Kate, for <laughs> emergencies where they couldn't stop yeah. a bus. But yeah, where the bus busts through the, the barricade the for the yeah. unfinished road and like it makes this huge ass jump, but somehow like it goes, it lands it. Like it doesn't even make sense. <laughs> That was such a like interesting idea I had never seen before when that movie came out. I mean, I was a kid, so but that I mean, was my first Dennis time Hopper, seeing. And then there was He's so blowing good up that, Jeff too. Daniels. Like there's like, a lot going on in that. It's movie. not a good movie. It's fucking stupid as hell. When I went back watched it like when I was older, and I was like, ha, ah, I can't believe I liked this when I was. It's a probably kid. like one of the action movies of the '90s, though. Like when I say the, I mean yeah. You na- say name. It's an a defining movie film. The '90s. It's probably a good chance it's the one that's brought up. I mean, it's it's also firmly planted itself in the lexicon and it's been parodied over and over and over and over still to this day people make speed parodies so so like i think 
probably wrong, but The Hurt Locker is like her seventh movie. So before I before we get to that episode, I'm gonna rewatch. Um, I think I'm all caught up. I haven't watched Stranger Stranger Days. Strange Days is the first one that I haven't seen. Now I didn't see Blue. Hold on, I'm back back this all the way up here. <laughs> I never saw The Loveless before. That was the first time. Near Dark. This was maybe the third time I've watched this movie. I didn't. Know, I've not watched this movie that many times. Uh, Blue Steel was the first time I watched that movie. Stranger Days is the first time I watched that. I haven't seen The Weight of Water. I don't even know what it is, but that's that's going to be a big question mark. And then she did K nineteen with Harrison Ford, where he plays that like Russian submarine yeah. guy. And I know that I've seen that. But I don't remember it being very good, so I'm interested to see. Uh, yeah, I think I think I watched. I think I probably rented that on DVD from Hollywood Video when I was a kid. And then it's like she has these like large gaps of time between her movies too. She's working on a big movie now for Netflix that's based off of a book by is it David Cope? Is that how you say his name? The guy that wrote Jurassic Park. Uh, yeah, Cope. Oh, that was Michael Crichton. No, no, the screenplay. Oh, I'm it sorry. was Michael Crichton who wrote the book. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, is that how you pronounce Crichton? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, that has something to do with, um, like, them losing power on all of, all of planet Earth or something. And I don't think it's necessarily an apocalypse movie, but it's going to have some heavy sci-fi vibes again. Probably a lot of shooting. I'd watch that. But yeah, it's like we discussed Wes Anderson earlier this year, and he has about the same amount of films under his belt. Uh, and he's kind of picked up. When was Bottle Rocket? Ninety six. He said ninety seven. Uh, yeah, yeah. So he, he d- yeah, he's pretty much a two thousands director, is where he yeah really comes from. Um. But Bigelow, she stretches out over quite a period of time. She has an almost 35, 40-year career. Yeah, because Loveless is 81. Then you get 87. And then she makes a shit ton of movies in the early 90s. I, I think Blue Steel's 90, Point Break's 91, and... Stranger Days is like 95, Yeah, 96. we jump a little bit. Then by the time you get into K-19... That's like 2002, and then you're into Hurt Locker, which is like 2008. She's making like a movie every six years, basically. I don't know. Living her best life, I guess. Maybe she's going to come back for another Academy Award. I wish more um, filmmakers would tackle... um, James Cameron? (laughs) Cyberpunk films like... um, like Stranger Days and do more subject matter like that instead of always trying to make it like action. Cause there's, there can be action within it, but like the cyberpunk genre, it doesn't have to be action. There's all kinds of other things you can do with it. Yeah. And I don't know if you've, if the listeners have seen Stranger Days, the acting is great. They, every actor that they have in it really eats up their scenes. It's, it's super interesting. I, I love, uh, Ray Fine and it's fantastic. It's he's almost unrecognizable, like from what he's been doing. 
And he did The English Patient, I think, right after that movie. It's it's about wearing little things on your head and being able to like record your memories. And then y- you can give your memory to someone else and they can enjoy your memory if they want to. That's a nice like, PG way of putting it. Yeah, but then the, the black <laughs> on the black market, people sell memories of people dying. So it's a big thing to like get memories of like seeing someone die essentially, and that's what the movie's about is like that sort of market. You can murder somebody, and they can watch it from your perspective of <laughs> they can see what it looks like to murder themselves as they're getting yeah. murdered. That's like predicting. Uh, like I feel like the early or. I guess like yeah, around the two thousands, like when, when a lot of those, uh, a lot of the different sites were popping up, where it'd be like, I feel like that was what everyone had in high school. Was like, hey, have you seen this website where it'll show you like people blowing themselves up or like yeah. uh, beheadings from the Taliban? Like you just totally watch those for free online. It's like, it's yeah. like, like predicting that people would be super. A certain set of people are super into things like that, and it's very, very creepy. I used to watch that stuff. We know. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> we had you figured out from the get-go <laughs> yeah. the listeners know who you are we know who you are you're I an mean, open book you're, I, I, I'm voyeuristic what can I say I think we all are when we watch movies that's totally true for the record I would wear one of those little head flap vices and watch someone die like the Stranger Days stuff, I'd totally do that. I wouldn't engage in it, but I'd, I'd check it out if someone. Well, you feel it. things too. It's like it's not just seeing. Yeah, that's the, the that's the brutal part. Yeah. They uh cover that in um the like Cyberpunk the game twenty seven seven. They have like yeah, a, it reminded crossing. me a lot of that kind of was put into Cyberpunk. That game is like a nice amalgamation of all these aspects of different pieces of cyberpunk and science fiction and all that kind of all glued together in this interesting, well done kind of way. Yeah. I'm kind of, this is a journey that I'm still interested in kind of exploring all of her movies and seeing the, like the common thread in all of them. Cause I want to look at it from like a character point of view and I feel like in the beginning, she's not as strong with her characters as she is with her themes. I'd agree with that. But I, th- she definitely gets better. Like, I think the Hurt Locker, when we get into it, it's a great character study of, like, that particular person. And it has a different aspect of war to tell. Like, what is it? Uh, James, who hosted our podcast for a long time, He'd always be like, I don't like war movies. They're always like, war is bad. But when you generalize it like that, yeah, it sounds shitty. But when you start to deal deal (laughs) with things like, I don't know, the mental illness behind it. Right. Like the the PTSD or maybe the illness that you have going into it for whatever reasons that you have. Well, now they got all the, the sick vets from the fucking burn pits and stuff. There's always like. Character study is what character study is the only thing that is going to keep things interesting, right? Because you can you can on paper say my story is about this, and you could easily say I've seen that story five hundred times. So like you have to have a character who's something that 
these people are going to want to watch and what they're going to find interesting. Like sci-fi specifically, I mean, I know that Near Dark is not the sci-fi movie. Stranger Days is. But when you start mixing in things like that, like Black Mirror does, and technology, it's not the technology that's scary. It's the human choices that they do with the technology. Right, exactly. That is the most interesting part of those. But yeah, I think she definitely gets stronger when it comes to why these people do what they do. Because, again, watch Blue Steel, the worst movie of hers so far that I've watched. And this, the villain character, it's unbelievable how they're written. It, they are written like the most one-dimensional <laughs> worst character of all time. Poor Jamie Lee Curtis. It, it was funny. I was saying to you the other day that I don't like war movies. And then when I was at Walmart, I bought Hacksaw Ridge for five bucks. <laughs> and of all the war movies, like that one's. That's a good movie. movie. I liked it. I think he was I... basically. I mean, I know we're not talking about that, but the Hacksaw Ridge character was basically real life Forrest Gump. <laughs> <laughs> I think Mel Gibson's a competent director. Who? Mel Gibson. I think he's a really competent director. Yeah. Not not that we're talking about him today, but... No, you brought him up. Yeah. You are. Yeah, don't take this away from Catherine. Right. Especially I mean, bringing Mel Gibson up and we're talking about a woman. I'm going to have to look it up a little bit. I don't know how much is out there about their relationship, but I kind of want to read up on the relationship of James Cameron and... Catherine Bigelow, because they're divorced by the, you know, 2009 oh, were they married? Academy Award. They were married. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. They were married, and I mean, when they were doing, when she was doing Stranger Days, he was doing Titanic at that point. Like, he was prepping Titanic. I just am very interested in kind of like, I mean, I guess we don't really get to see it, but they went head to head. Their movies, Avatar, was up against the Hurt Locker for all the Academy Award movies, and it's like these ex, like I don't know. These yeah, but like divorced couple that's going he up made, against each other. He made Titanic, and she made Stranger Days. And while he was making Titanic, he's like, "Your movie's gonna fail. Mine's the best." And then, like you know, she comes back at him years later with like, "Oh, what's that, big man? You're 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 big." movie you've been waiting a billion years to make is not very wrong, fucking but I don't, good i don't think he's cocky like that in anything that i see i just i just like to think that that's what's going <laughs> you've on never got that impression scenes. from from james cameron that he thinks he's the greatest director of all time i can see why he <laughs> i can see why he would think that he's the greatest director of all time because i'm pretty sure not, he believes it <laughs> his movies make a billion dollars and i'm sure no one ever says no to him now he's no steven spielberg by any means he wishes he was, but he's not. He's not yeah. nearly as competent as Spielberg. And like, well, like Avatar like, is not a good film. They're not good movies. And the, the thing you about can't Avatar, say they're not good movies. We've only seen one Avatar movie. <laughs> okay, but, but here's but, the thing with Avatar. <laughs> no, seriously, like as a film, it. Do you honestly know anyone? Genuinely, like, know anyone who's like, God, I'm a huge Avatar fan. No, because they killed themselves. They were how so excited to join that world that <laughs> it's like it's like disney goes and spends all this money on this avatar world it's like who gives a fuck about avatar like 
it's very cool to look at, but it's like you're walking around this and you're like, do you even remember this movie? Do you remember half the shit I mean, that you're looking at here? Box office, box office success. It brought 3D back. It was visually appealing and released at a time that there wasn't a whole lot. And tech, it was very easy. I wouldn't say that there wasn't a whole lot, but that it was definitely at a time where people were looking for something new. You're right. Tron Legacy. <laughs> Tron Legacy the competition was, was fierce. Yeah. That was after, but he, he was like developing his 3d technology to make this movie and his, I feel that it's avatar is definitely one of his weaker stories. So he's all focused on what he can pull off with technology. So when you have that going up against hurt locker, which is a pretty tense and emotional story, I don't think that it could really compete, but I'm hoping at least with his next couple movies, his next couple avatars that he comes out with, he's had quite a lot of time to write these stories and work Jesus on them. Jesus Christ. Hopefully he f- has some good stories up his yeah. sleeves. Yeah, Space Pocahontas, I'm sure it'll be great. Well, the first uh, one was Space Pocahontas, so the second uh, one's got to be something different. Uh, um, I remember seeing Hurt Locker, I think, when it came out around that time i don't know if i saw it exactly when it came out but i it was on my radar so i believe i watched a pirated copy of it and i didn't really care for it at the time that i watched it mostly because i don't like jennifer jeremy renner at all like i think he's just a terrible actor but um i'm willing to give it a shot again and i'm really kind of I like the subjects that are talked about in it. And I think it's interesting. Like I like the idea of talking about bomb disposal people. That stuff's really like interesting in a lot of ways. It's also a really tense movie. The tension in that movie, like the way that everything's built up for suspense is wild. I think I'll have a different appreciation this time going into it. I think it's going to be a much more interesting film this time around than when I watched it before. Yeah, hopefully. And I think this is also going to... I think Bigelow's going to end up a lot like the Coen brothers when we discuss them, where they are they have a tone, but they're very genreless. Like, there's not... Like, you don't watch something... It's like, if the characters are have a certain demeanor, you're like, that feels like a Coen brothers movie. Or if See, it has a certain the, style, you're like, that feels like Wes Anderson. That's what I'm looking for right now with this, because as I said before, I didn't know I was watching her movies all this time. And so when you start pointing out her films to me in my head, I'm still going like, I can't find the crossover. Like, I don't know what makes her style unique to her yet. I can't figure that out on my own like you could present stuff to me but like as a as a viewer i'm not finding connections well, watch a couple of them back to back and you'll see it oh that's gonna but, well it's obviously gonna happen here but like that's something i'm definitely gonna try i think find. it's a little bit i i'm obviously not at hurt locker but there's such a huge gap of time and the style feels so different that i don't really know how well the transition's gonna feel going from near dark to the hurt locker but if you actually start watching them yourselves in order i think you can see i i see a lot of okay i see the style definitely feels like the same director for 
All I have a que question for you in regards to her visual style. Something that I pick up with her is being familiar with her movies. I don't find her movies very colorful. I find that they have very like dulled tones to most of their films. Like uh, near they are about the 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 brightest thing you're gonna see is Keanu Reeves' pink surfboard. That's about. <laughs> Yeah, like that's really like it for me. Like when I think of Point Break, I'm like, I don't even think Point Break is a colorful film. It's just that the time period that they are in and the culture they're around have colors around it. But she doesn't focus those colors. She's not a color director. Like she seems to just kind of have these very raw, muted tones to all of her films. Yeah, I mean, that's something else we'll, we'll have to explore. For the films, for everything that I've watched so far... I think that she definitely made a point to use a lot of blue and in blue steel. There's a lot of scenes that are heavily blue. Detroit looks very green from what I've seen of shots from it. Like it looks like it has a lot of like green tones to everything. Yeah. And I'm not the best to talk about color. Chuck will tell you that I'm uh, slightly colorblind. Oh, really? Mm hmm. Oh, <laughs> I like color. <laughs> it's not that I don't like it. It's just I can't see it. No, no, not the. It's not the worst. But I'm actually really glad that we jumped into her filmography because I haven't seen half of the movies before that she's done, and I'm excited to revisit. So obviously, her locker, and I've only watched Zero Dark Thirty once, which was clearly given to her because of her see locker. i thought that was her who did that yeah see that's what i'm saying like it went heart locker and then that movie i was like i'm out like i'm not interested because it was all like based around that like 2000s war and i just don't i just don't care about it I feel like it was kind of trying to recreate the the glory of the Hurt Locker. We have another Academy Award winning movie under our belt with the Zero Dark Thirty. And that's about the team that goes in and kills Osama. Yeah. Yeah. And they did it with the, like all this intel that was not publicly made, no, like known. Yeah. They but did then it. I think after the movie, some of the details were wrong, they said. Yeah. So I well, think they, they were jacked about that. They did it during like a bombing. So like they used a bombing over there to distract from this team that goes in and basically takes out Osama silently. Is that right? I mean, I guess as silently as you can. <laughs> That's fair. It's also like, I really do think that it's a great movie too, where it's, it's such an anticlimactic thing to, to take this guy out. I mean, he's done a lot, but it's just sort of like, one done we got the target let's get out of there <laughs> i just like i said like I'm it's not, not a big fight on a, on a huge rig with bill paxton tearing right. the truck apart it's not the same it's not as interesting which i mean there is some nice foreshadowing right there in uh, near dark because the one character explains how you have to break a truck a she big picked, rig and then he ends up a... driving a big rig <laughs> She picked a really good time to get in on making like Heart Locker and Zero Dark Thirty when she did. Cause like that was that nice period there where America was like super into like 
that stuff like we were like watching movies like that like crazy because then like he got like american sniper comes later and that one about that kid that comes home and then has all the trauma thank you for your service or something like that i think was what it was i because think you're talking about the ethan hawk movie again the ethan hawk movie is excellent that one was really good about the drone pilots did you see that movie or are you just giving me shit i haven't seen the movie i didn't even know it existed till you brought it up it's really I don't good. remember a trailer or anything for it. Yeah, I never saw anything for it either. And the only reason I knew about it was because I heard they filmed it at the drone base that I test. I used to test drive cars and drive by the drone base all the time. And they were like, they made a movie about like the drone pilots. And I was like, oh, OK. So I watched it because it was part of local film at the time. And that was really more why I watched it. Plus, I wanted to see the drone base. And like it was a fucking amazing yeah. movie chuck do you remember seeing a trailer for that movie no did you it see must... it no he, he there's no way he yeah i was gonna say there's no way that chuck's seen it if he i didn't even know what it was about. it sounded like you're making a fucking movie up when you were describing <laughs> the premise i was like it's it's about the drone pilots and the the mental like trauma they deal with going to work every day sitting in a little box bombing people and then just going home like it's nothing. It's really good. Yeah. Um, I guess circling back to finish off <laughs> near dark. Obviously, my recommendation is always to see it. I do find it interesting to see how you guys are revisiting it and how you're feeling because I've kind of went more towards the way of appreciating it more so than I had the first time. And... I think it's because I'm seeing this style that is starting to emerge in her work and the way that she's working with these actors and building these scenes. So it's not necessarily that it's like, oh, it's a great movie. It's just I see the beginnings of obviously this person that is going to win the Academy Award for Best Picture in 20 years. That's so weird, yeah. To think, like, this is the same person that made The Hurt Locker. Like, I'm still kind of shocked by it. Yeah, I mean, the Hurt Locker didn't have ads like from the director of Near Dark and, <laughs> and Point Right. Blank. But like the thing with this too is within the horror community, Near Dark is hailed within the horror community. Like this is one of like the greatest horror movies ever made. So she's kind of also like got one of the greatest cult films ever under her belt too, like within the horror genre. Because like, this is an absolutely beloved vampire movie. Like any vampire person is like super into this. Like this is just like right up there. But yeah, overall, like we, you'd still recommend it. Yeah. Or are you oh, saying you won't. It's just, I, that's the comp. What I think most it's, people think. I think that I think I had rose tinted glasses with this one a lot more like going into my first watch of it. Like, you don't expect what you're going to get from it your first time through. So you're just like, whoa, whoa. Like every time something happens. So it's just like, this movie's great. You need to watch this movie. And then, you know, you watch it on TV and like, you never, you're not watching it from start to finish. You're only catching like the middle. So you're like, this movie's great. And then, you know, now you're going to sit down and you're going to give it your full attention and you're really going to like delve into it and talk about it. And you're like, fuck yeah. And you sit down and you watch it and you start analyzing it and you're like, well, this is terrible. And this is bad. It's like, and this is still good, but like, 
this is really not good and this is bad and there's a lot of like weak areas in it and you know uh being where i'm at in my life now instead of like when i was like 20 and male it was a much more exciting film you know that's the other thing too like with my transition like there's a lot of movies that like i loved when i was male and now since my transition like they just don't work the same way or they but rub why the... i don't know why and i can't answer that question and i don't say it to be like snarky but just like i don't think that you're being snarky but i like think it, it's something worth exploring well like okay like i watched if you go back on my old podcast and you listen to the evil dead episode yeah the remake of evil dead made me really uncomfortable because i felt like the director of it saw the original film throughout everything from the movie and seemed to think that the tree rape scene was like the most important like thing and i just felt like a film i thought had empowerment or a film i thought had whatever now that i see it from a different perspective i'm like i don't see the female empowerment i saw before or i don't see but you could feel what did you feel the first time that you watched it I liked it. I thought it was great. I saw it in the theater and I just didn't think about it. And I can tell you as well, like not to be weird, but I have a large collection of very grotesque films that have very brutal rape scenes and stuff in them. It's just part of the genre that I collect and it's never bothered me. And now I have a problem watching a lot of those kind of films and stuff. And I can't tell you why it just feels like it's a chemical thing like once the testosterone went away there was just kind of this like things don't hit me the same way i guess a good example of like being less weird because i feel like i'm delving no, i actually think that's a pretty good explanation but like death race was a movie that the remake in particular that i really liked even though I hate the director and I was like, this isn't what I wanted. It's still not death race, but like I could get down with it in some way or another. Was and that when Paul W.S. Anderson? Yeah. And I hate Paul W.S. Anderson. He's my most hated director. So I have a lot of problems with the film, but this time around going back into it as a woman, I was like, this movie is like for 13 year old boys chugging monster. Like it's not, anything worth watching it's not even worth remembering like there's nothing to it it's not a very good film and it's sexist as hell and it's and it's just like i don't know like the whole the whole ability to find but then on the other side of it there are things like robocop still one of the greatest movies ever and like i love action i like action sequences i like action-packed movies so i know it's not the the action sequences and like the testosterone fueled kind of things that necessarily I'm deterred from. Cause Rachel's a huge action film fan as well, but like there are things that I just can see now differently. Well, I think going forward, so... that's something that's probably worth exploring each movie. Like if you've seen it before and now you're watching it after and you feel different. Yeah. I think that's something interesting to talk about. So Near Dark is definitely one of those because my experiences with it were male. And now I'm watching it, going into it, feeling the same way as I did when I was male and walking out of it kind of feeling like it was a blasé film with some really excellent scenes. I think the cinematography is top notch. I think there's some really great camera work. I think it's really raw 
I like a lot of like aspects of it. And I think it has some really great scenes. Like I said, like I'm someone who really watches a film for like those, those moments, those really great scenes. And there's some really great scenes, but um, for me to sit back and put this in my collection and be like, you should definitely watch this one. I can't really necessarily go that route, but if you like vampires, you've never seen this movie before. Highly recommend it. I still that think should have it's been on the poster. Yeah. If you like vampires and you haven't seen this movie before. <laughs> Cause like it's, it's a really solid, like kind of anti vampire vampire film. Like it's not a traditional vampire film. It really does its own thing, but it's also, you know, a lot of, further on in life kind of cliches and tropes seem to kind of come from it and i don't know i think it's a unique film i think it's worth exploring and talking about but uh i definitely don't think it holds a spark like it used to bill paxton is the best part of this movie and and you're feeling kind of the same way chuck because i know you didn't like it as much it didn't hold hold you the way it originally did yeah it's still a good movie it's still I think it's still worth watching, but not super unique. Not the way I yeah, not the way I used to like it. What do you remember about it that was like stood out? That like obviously is not the same way that you got this time. I think it was just I did like a style in your head that just is different no, than what you. I watched. feel like I remembered. I don't know. I think maybe and maybe it's just because the only parts that stand out that you do remember are the, uh, and we talked about it multiple times, are the three side characters, basically, the not main characters. So it's like, when you haven't seen the movie in 10 years, uh, the part that you remember even before you start the movie is, I love Bill Paxton in this movie, and I love Lance Henriksen in this movie. Then you watch the movie, and every time they're not on screen, you're like, like, oh, but I didn't like this. Like I feel like even even the first time I watched it, I probably like didn't really like the Caleb and May characters, but it's like you just forgot about it after so long that that you didn't right. like that part but like i i still remember like all of bill paxton's great lines like he he does he has the best lines in the film like the like when they walk in boy you people stay up late and bill paxton just goes we keep odd hours like he has all those random like great lines and you know like uh everything he does in the bar sequence is great like when he keeps pissing off that guy sitting there when he's like he's like oh come on man calm down why don't you get him a good shot and then he drinks it and then he's like now pay the man like He's just doing all that. Like I feel, I feel like that's just what I forgot. He's the ultimate that, instigator and yeah. scene eater. Yeah, I forgot like how how great he is, but how he's just not. They're not in the film enough. How come later on in Bill Paxton's career, he did not play more? Because he died. No, he died like recently. He died like in his like early sixties. He died surgery. like ten years ago. Now he I made thought. that big love show, man. Like that was. Yeah, it might have been about ten years ago. You're mm-hmm. probably right. But I mean, that's still fairly recent considering his filmography. Because like he started out playing like these weird punk characters. His character in Aliens is like the best. Like that's really like his roles that he's remembered for. But then you look at his character in Twister, and it's like people don't remember him in Twister. Oh, I 100% remember does. him from Twister. That's an amazing <laughs> film. <laughs> you take that Twister back about is Twister. Twister the speed of its time. It's the same director, so it better be. <laughs> there you go. Oh, God. <laughs> so, but, like, he started playing those really straight roles later on. 
in his career and like stopped playing that like loudmouth, like punky kind of character. And I wish he there became had been... a loud, loudmouth uh, tornado chaser. He <laughs> should have been. He had a lot. Like okay, like look at where Michael Keaton is right now in his career. Like he's Michael... Batman again. Michael Keaton is like the best that he's ever been. Like where he's like really funny and he's like just like every role he plays he does really well and like he does a ton of villain shit and like his villain shit's really good and i feel like paxton could have been like right there too doing the villain stuff but he just never got to that point there's a lot of things too that i forget bill paxton's in like big love like, well i never watched that show but i i know what it is i refused to watch it and it had bill paxton i was like i love you so much but i can't do this I heard I it was might. a good show. I still might go back and watch it, though, because I love Bill Paxton. Do it. Go back. We'll be back so, next week. We're going to be talking about The Hurt Locker, which is the whole reason I started this thing. <laughs> and then we'll do one final film. Obviously, there's only two films after The Hurt Locker, so you figure it out. <laughs> That'll be Chuck's pick. But uh, until then... We'll Bye. You, we'll keep you. We'll keep you in the dark. We are Cinema de More. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter to stay up to date with news and information on upcoming episodes. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, Amazon Music, Audible, Pandora, Alexa, or iHeartRadio. It would be greatly appreciated if you subscribe to our podcast on your platform of choice. We also appreciate feedback, so rate us, review us, and let us know what you think. And above all else, thank you for listening.